Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. You're listening to Inside the Clubhouse on 670 The Score. This hour of which is brought to you by Cars for Kids. Call one eight seven seven cars for kids. He's Bruce Levine. I'm Matt Spiegel, and it is baseball's off season. And our friend Ron Coomer is here with us. He Bruce? absolutely is. As we bring Coombs in uh, to talk a little baseball in the off season, get us going. Coombs uh, enjoyed the, the last month or so. You did you watch much uh, playoff baseball? I did, Bruce. Uh, morning, guys. How are you guys? Morning. First of all, delightful. Hope things are well, Good. thank you, sir. Uh huh. But yes, I did. I watched uh, quite a bit, probably more than I thought I would, to be honest with you. Um, watched every game of the World Series, and that was fun to watch and entertaining. And uh, now I'm bored. Now it's college football. <laughs> when you saw when you saw the Washington Nationals come in and sweep the Cubs in a four game series um, late in the year, what were your thoughts about that team at the time? And uh, did it pretty much play out the way you thought? Did you think they were the best team in the National League when you watched them at that point? Um, they were trending to be the best team, Bruce. I don't. I wasn't totally sold on it as of yet. Um, but as the season continued, and they when they were playing that way, um, you just wondered how they were going to be health wise, and if if those guys were going to continue to stay healthy that they needed. Um, but they were, you know, there was only the only couple teams in the league. I we hadn't seen Atlanta in quite some time, so you know, you never really knew how Atlanta was going to be, um, and that didn't pan out, obviously. So, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe maybe it is that they were, you know, the best team in baseball at the right time, a lot like you know 2016. So, um, but man, I you talk about a team clicking, right? Mm-hmm. They checked all the boxes. They mm-hmm. didn't punch out. They hit it out of the park. They had two, two, really three stud guys that can that can come into the game and, you know, be a be a stopper um, as a starting pitcher. You know, their their bottom or the end of the bullpen was clicking pretty good, and you know, and so maybe they were the best team in the National League. Not only talk about it, I haven't thought about it that much, but yeah, I think you're probably right. <laughs> Once they hit the postseason, Ron, they just they had that glow, didn't they? They just had that thing. It's like, my God, everything they're doing looks good. I I, I thought about um, conversations you and I have had about offense during the course of the year as I watched them because they've got guys in Turner and Eaton and Robles and Kendrick, the kind of like contact guys that would be awfully nice um perhaps in a in a in a cubs lineup i wonder how what you saw informs what you think the cubs direction offensively might be this off season as they well, mix there, things up you know when speaks we did we talked about it quite a bit and it was fun to have you in the booth and have some of those baseball conversations what you saw was 
was teams, even against the best pitching in baseball, understanding how important it is at times to not strike out, right? To put the ball in play, use the whole field, and understand your role. And I, I really thought that um, the Turners and some of those guys did it. And then I also thought that the Stars were doing it also. Now, talking about the third baseman for Washington, Rendon, how many balls did we see him hit and, and really just direct the ball the other direction towards right center and right field right. and then also do it with power? So um, that the reason he was doing that is because if you try to pull some of those guys that they were featuring in the Verlanders and, and Coles, you're just gonna you're gonna be so susceptible to their off speed pitches that you're probably gonna punch out if you don't click the one pitch they give you to hit. So, you know, you saw guys with a great game plan, you saw them execute the plan, and you saw them grind out in that bat so they wouldn't punch out and they could make the pitcher work. I thought those were those were some key things and I thought the stars did it and so did their their, you know, guys that are the second tier player on that club. The owner of Coombs Corner in uh, Lockport, <laughs> Ron Coomer, joining us on Inside the Clubhouse. And uh, the, the scores pre- and post-game football coverage of the Bears, Sunday, November the 12th, is it? 10th. 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 Yep. Uh, okay, so that's next Sunday. That's awesome. Uh, from 9 to 12, Hub, Olin, Pat Manley will be doing the pregame from – Coombs Corner. It's at 122.52. I'm sorry, 125 East 9th Street in Lockport. And in the post, it'll be Hub and James Big Cat Williams doing the post. And all uh, brought to us by our good friends uh, from Miller Light as well. So uh, that should be fun. Yeah, we're going to have a good time. I'm looking forward to it. It's great that, you know, our station has helped and Miller has helped to, to bring it out there. We've, we've had the station out there before for our opening and I want to do that. I'll make that kind of a tradition at our place to have the guys out. And thanks to Mitch um, for helping that process along. So, Mitch Rosen, thank you. But we're going to have fun. I, You know, as you know, Bruce, I grew up as a Cubs, as a Cubs fan, but as a Bears fan, a Hawks fan, a Bulls fan, you know, we're fans of our teams, right? It's White Sox, too. And, and you know, to have the Bears um, game on every Sunday, I'm flying home from Florida for the game tomorrow because we'll have a big crowd out there and, and uh, to have the guys out from our station and Olin and Big Cat and Manley and all those guys at Hub, it's, it's special to me to do that. And, and for our town, you know, Lockport's not a big town, but we're close enough to the city. So it's going to be fun to do. So David Ross is now the manager of the Chicago Cubs. I don't know if you heard that or not, uh, Coombs, but. Uh, it, it did make it here to Clearwater Beach, Florida. <laughs> yes, it did. Yes, the news you, made it. Uh, <laughs> you actually ended your career with the Dodgers. And yep. David Ross was a part of that team. Did you get any inclination from that uh, sample size of what it was he what he was all about? Certainly, you saw him in action with the fifteen sixteen Cubs and as a broadcaster. But what was that teammate element all about? You know, the, the first thing that that struck me about David was um, his will to want to uh, work. Right, he was a rookie player. And I was 36 or 37 years old at the time. Um, and that was my last year playing in his first. Um, he had just gotten a cup of coffee the year before. And, um, you know, we had a very good team. We had Gagne in the back and LaDuca. And he was the backup catcher to Paul LaDuca. And the thing that David brought to the table right away as a rookie is his, his willingness to 
work every day and not ever take, you know, the, the easy way out. We hit, because a lot of the bench players, we didn't play every day uh, or didn't play a lot um, the second half. But I just felt like if we were going to be able to contribute because we were in a pennant race, we needed the extra work. And, that, and that's what we did. And I kind of spearheaded some of that um, in the extra hitting. But David never missed, ever. And he was right there. And, and right away you found out that his work ethic was great. His, his will to want to succeed was great. And, you know, it, it did not surprise me at all as I watched him once I retired as a broadcaster, the success that he had and what he brought to, you know, a bunch of different teams to win. And now, you know, you can understand why he's going to be a manager. You know, Coom, when uh, when they had the press conference and, and afterwards talking about it, Theo kept mentioning that David has, quote, specific gifts as a person and as a leader. And, and, and what I think that means is, an ability to hold guys accountable while being inherently likable. Um, and it, does that make sense for what a manager needs to bring? And is that something that could be a good fit for some of these guys on this team? Absolutely. I, I think you, what you're talking about is the most successful managers or, or the majority of them, let's say. Not everybody's warm and fuzzy um, that I've played for managed, <laughs> that's managed me, but um, he he has that that skill set a lot like uh, Joe, a lot like Terry Francona. You know, you can go down the list of a lot of Joe Torrey. You know, they, they have that ability to be um, very gregarious at times and happy and, and, and make you feel at home or welcome in their clubhouse. But also there's a, there's a sternness to that personality that um, has a goal in mind. And, Nobody's gonna gonna break break away from that goal. That goal is is a twenty five man goal along with a staff. So I think David will be able to bring that. Um, he he made a comment that it made me chuckle when he first said it, but then I started thinking about it and I I just never heard it put this way. I know what winning looks like mm-hmm. is what he said. Yeah, and he does. He knows what winning looks like, and winning looks like commitment right it looks like all in it looks like a lot of different things but he knows what it looks like and you know I think he's going to have a little learning curve here at the beginning like everybody would as a new manager but he's got that part and not a lot of people can say that they just can at that level they just you know there's not a lot of guys that have won multiple championships in different cities Ron, um, it, it's hard not to hear some of the stuff that they're talking about, David, and, and think about it as, you know, being critical of Joe. Uh, but maybe that's just how these things go when you go from one manager to another. But, I mean, you were around that room uh, an awful lot. Do you think that that there's more to get from these players? Because Theo and Jed, the way they talk about it, they think that there's more to be able to get out of these players. Well, more to get out of the guys as far as what happened last year, but you know, you got to remember this team has won more games in the last five years than it has in any time in franchise history. So, um, you, you gotta you gotta quantify what you're what you're talking about here because they're you know they've done pretty dang good, mm-hmm. um, and we've never won a championship until this past five years. But with that being said, I I really believe that some of the, some of the young players took a step back um, in the last year, um, and and who's at fault at that? You know, you can you can point the fingers at managers, coaches, different things, but 
you know, at the end of the day, the guys that are on the field, they got to look in the mirror. It's their career. It's them playing. And the coaching and the, the message hadn't changed, but the people have, right? The, the, the work on the field has changed and uh, in results. And I, and I just, I look at, you know, some guys, and it's tough for guys to make certain adjustments when they haven't failed yet. But I think now they're, they're finding out that, you know, some of the things they were doing, and maybe they were pointing a finger at a coach in particular or, or something or somebody, maybe they need to look in the mirror. Coombs, uh, Carlos Beltran hired as the Mets manager. I'm I'm just, I'm throwing my hands up on, on that. I mean, we know he was a great player and a fine leader, but, you know, a couple of years, you know, you know, in a front office, you know, kind of in the periphery, not really the day-to-day. Um, I just, uh, I'm just kind of befuddled by what qualifications are these days for manager. I don't know, Bruce. I, I have to agree with you. I just, you, you've got a, a large, large market team in the New York Mets. You've got um, some star players there that, you need somebody that, that understands what they're doing. Um, you, you're only a couple of players away from being right in the heart of the race. Um, and I just, you know, you had some candidates out there that, to me, um, fit. The guy yeah. that went to Philadelphia, one of my buddies, I, I thought was, when he didn't get the Cubs job, I thought he was a lock for, for New York. Right. Um, been there, played there, managed there, won a World Series there. You know, all the boxes check, and then, you know, they go out and get a rookie, a rookie manager, and I, you know, boy, that's that's a tough one for me. That's a tough place to be, tough place to manage, um, just dealing with all that you have to deal with in in New York. But um, we'll see what happens. That's the trend now, you know, and and the trend is to hire young guys that are just out of the game. So we'll see what happens. Um, but that was an odd one. I I didn't see the the uh, mentoring um, of him being in New York with that club like we did with David, where David's been around the Cubs now for three years, just kind of being put in a position to have this job. Uh, Pat Hughes, among the many candidates for the Ford Frick Award for the Hall of Fame. Uh, would he get your vote, Ron Coomer, if we asked? Uh, <laughs> yeah. if, I could, if I could vote a million times, he'd get all of them. <laughs> Absolutely. What is, hey, what, is, yeah, what is that fun like on a daily basis and the professionalism that he brings and the good times that you, you three guys have along with Zach? Well, you, you know we have, we have a great time. We have a great booth. Um, along with Dave Miska, who's just as big mm-hmm. a part of anything, you know, Davey is too. So, uh, but I'm really happy for Pat. I, it's, it's time. He deserves it. It's time. Um, I just really hope that he gets in. I really do. It's, he's one of those people, Bruce, as you know, you and I have been friends a long time um, in our game. And when you walk into somebody's booth, that's, some guys are very territorial about their booth and, mm-hmm. and who comes in and what happens. And I will say, Outside of him being the best play-by-play guy by far that I've ever worked with, that I've ever been around as close like that, I mean, there's no one close. But it's his it's his ability to be kind of, you know, check the ego at the door and and let everybody have their say and everybody is welcome, um, you know, and, and his generosity of what goes on on the air with all of us is is incredible. Um, 
and you just don't see that. You just don't. You think he um, learned that from Uke? I I don't know. I you know what? I'm not real sure, but I just in knowing Pat, he's he's very yeah. open. He wants you. One of the first things he ever said to me, at the end of every game, I want you to have said everything that you have wanted to say. That was one of his first comments, other than having fun. Yeah. And I just thought, wow, that's pretty. Yeah. That's coming from a guy who's going to go into the Hall of Fame. That's, that's I'm not amazing. The, mm-hmm. the, the fingers on the table, like, okay, that's enough now. It's my turn to talk. Be quiet. You, you just don't get any of that, you know. And and uh, but I'm just happy. I think our our friendship has grown immensely, and and he's a buddy. Um, and we have fun together. We laugh together. We've had some, you know. I, I hope our fans appreciate some of it. You don't get to hear it all because of a good, uh, a well-timed cough button at times, but. We have a great time, and I, I couldn't think of doing anything else in the broadcast world right now other than being being with Pat um, here in Chicago doing my hometown team. I mean, it's as good as it gets. Coombs, we'll see you at Coombs Corner this Sunday, next Sunday, uh, the big event from the score, pre- and post-game. That should be awesome from our friends with the Miller Lite. And uh, have a safe trip home. We'll, we'll see you when you get into town, okay? Yep, Brucey Speaks. Great to talk with you guys and talk baseball a little bit. I'm a little sunburnt right now, but I'm coming to the cold tonight. <laughs> sure. <Okay. laughs> sure. Thanks for that, <laughs> we, we, we deserve it. We deserve All it. Right. Thanks, Coom. Appreciate one. it. Ron um, Coomer, your uh, play-by-play partner of Pat Hughes, who's up for the Ford Frick Award. We'll know December 11th if Pat wins or not. A lot of deserving broadcasters, but Pat is certainly – at the very top of that list. You know, my former radio partner, Pat Manley, is such a good dude. And he and Coom, I could just imagine him and Coomer being tight. I don't know if they are tight, but it makes me want to go hang out for Bears pregame next week. It's going to be fun. And drink Bloody Marys with those when, guys. When we come back, Dan Plesek from MLB Network, a local kid that made good for, he only pitched for 20 years. He'll be joining us on Inside the Clubhouse. It's Inside the Clubhouse right here on 670 The Score. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Bottom of the hour here on The Score is brought to you by Northwestern Football. Join Northwestern Football at Ryan Field this fall when the Wildcats host Purdue and Minnesota in Big Ten play. Single game tickets to see Chicago's Big Ten team are on sale now at nusports.com. It is the three-year anniversary of Game 7 of the World Series in 2016. A lot of people on Twitter sharing their memories of uh, the moment that it happened. Uh, Other folks uh, sharing uh, stories and details. I was looking back on my tweets during the game, and I got angry all over again. I was like, man, Kyle Hendricks had more in him. Should have stayed in that game. My wife likes to watch the game again every once in a while, the hardcore Cub meatball fan that she has always been. Yep. And we watched the game last winter. I got angry like three different times, had to leave My the room. My favorite comment uh, came from uh, Zobrist this year when I was doing an interview with him, and he said, for the first time when I was chasing the Davis home run ball, oh. I was going, I'm going to get it, I'm going to get it, I'm not getting it. 
maybe I do believe that, that there is a curse. Right, that was the moment. I that, mean, this is a guy played for 17 years, played on a championship teams, uh-huh. you know, and it's like maybe there is a curse because it was a, a surreal moment for him as well as everybody else. Yeah, 670 the score is where you are, but it did actually happen. Three years ago, and uh, and that is that will never ever be taken away, no matter what I they guess. do. I guess. I mean, unless we all made it up, maybe we did. I I don't think so. I, I'm 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 pretty sure it did. Actually, well, here happen. here's a Chicagoland area native to talk a little bit about it. Our good friend Dan Plesek from MLB Network, uh, kind enough to share a few moments of time on a Saturday morning as we approach the free agent and hot stove season. Sacker, what's up? How are you? Hey, Dad. Hey, you know what? I was there, too, and I was thinking the same thing. I was actually working my way down to the field level because I was on the post game of that mm-hmm. game, and as I'm walking down, I'm thinking, okay, this is over. I'm walking down by the third base corridor, and Rajay Davis hit that home run, and Bruce, I thought the same thing. Maybe there is something to this curse, the Billy Goat, <laughs> the Cat, 1969. I'm thinking, I don't believe this just happened, and I mean, it, it felt like doom. Like, it, this could only happen to the Chicago Cubs. And, you know, the reins opened up. I mean, and it, it turned out to be probably the most memorable game in Chicago Cubs history. Yeah, one of, certainly one in the history of baseball for sure. Yeah, I, I, a friend of mine, Dan, said that at that moment when the home run happened, he stood up in his living room, threw his hat on the ground and said, this effing team, you're going to do it too? And he walked out and walked around the block of his house, just couldn't get his it, head together. I think the thing that was amazing to me about that is, like, the crowd that night was split probably – 50-50 Cub fans, right. Indians fans, right? But the Cub fans were much more vocal throughout the game. And when Rajay Davis hit that home run, I remember, like, it was kind of a eerie cheering, like the Indians fans were cheering, but it felt like the Indians were playing a road game. Because it wasn't like the place was going bonkers. It was like everybody, well, all the Cub fans were in state of shock. It was, it was one of the most amazing things ever, and... I remember walking down to the set now we're like, hey, it's a tie game. You know, we've got some time to kill. And I remember telling a guy I work with, Greg Amsinger, I said, Greg, there must be something to this curse. <laughs> Maybe it's real. Maybe this thing is real. But uh, anyway, it was a crazy, crazy, crazy night in Cleveland. Dan, uh, the World Series just ends up. And uh, the, the idea that a scouting-heavy team like the Washington Nationals uh, actually won a World Series during this metrics-type uh, atmosphere we have in baseball. How do, how do you weigh that? How do you, how do you think uh, that'll play out as far as, uh, you know, the copycats of championship teams and what, what teams do to build their organizations? Do you think that will start putting it back the other way, or is, was, has that already started? I think it's already started, Bruce. Um... The thing is, I, I've had a different perspective. I was able to go last February. I went as a guest instructor for a week to Philadelphia Phillies camp, and I was there before the game started. And there is just there's so much information as far as video, um, sequencing, pitching, uh, data, swing planes, launch angles, all this information. But I will say this, Bruce. I think an element that that has started to get back into the game, that needs to get back in the game, 
is we often hear and we, we sound like we're like, you know, 150 year old men, but you know, the way the game used to be played, the way it used to be played. But I came away from the Phillies camp this. I think the players, they care just as much now when I played or when Freddie Banks played or when Ron Santo played or when Babe Ruth played. The players care. They work hard. They're in better shape. They're bigger. They're stronger. They're faster. But it's kind of the attention span of the, the millennial group now, the 30 and under group. Like, they come, they do their work, they go home. They want information. But I think what's getting lost in it all is you have all of this pool of information. But I think you have to have some baseball experience to take that information, that data, that video, that print sheet, and be able to help help a guy understand how to use that. You can have all the information in the world that you want, but if you don't know how to use it or how it can be broken down so you can understand it to make it work for you, and I think that's kind of what happened when Phil Regan was hired as the pitching coach mm-hmm. for the Mets the second half of the year. Why Charlie Mania was back brought back to the Philadelphia Phillies because we have all this technology and all this data and all this lingo and all this new verbiage, and the players, they want all that. They want the information. They want the verbiage. They they're into all that. They're into the video, but they need somebody that can help them understand how to do that. And I think it's slowly starting to get back to that, Bruce. I don't think the metrics and the data and the analytics, it's not going away because it's important information, but I think it's more important to be able to take that information, give it to players so the players can understand it and understand how to use it and what it means. How about this thought process for some of the great hitters that we saw in this World Series, that when there's two strikes, Dan, or when there's men in scoring position, you have to change what you do. Very, it's, Amen. Right? And it's like what somebody got in Juan Soto's head when he was 15 or 16 and told him that, and he's at 21, and he changes what he does. Uh, I mean, Amen. And, and all yeah. these guys, and so many players around baseball are like, no, I just do what I do, and, 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 and they don't change. And here we are. When you do change what you do, then look at the possibilities for an offense. This is the problem. The problem is we have rewarded 230, 30, 85 runs better than mm-hmm. I mean, this, and, and I would, you know what, sitting at, at the World Series, before and after the games, watching the games, we do the shows, we sit in the trailer, we're all there. Mark DeRosa, myself, Al Leiter, Harold Reynolds, Kevin Millar, and we're all talking. And, and I made this statement, and I stick to it. There's never been a more difficult time to be a pitcher than in 2019. The strike zone is as small as it is, right? There are more balls called strikes in 2019 than ever in the history games. Umpires are so paranoid because that box is on every TV screen. They're graded every night if they miss six pitches, eight pitches. You, you know, and, it, and the one pitch that they miss, they get blasted for. So if a pitch is close, the same thing to do is to call it a ball, and, and I, there's never been a more difficult time to hit. And I made this statement to Kevin Millar and Mark DeRosa. You should be embarrassed if you hit 240 in the big leagues. In nineteen, in two thousand nineteen, and in two thousand twenty, <laughs> the strike zone's never been smaller. Right. right? There's less foul territory, smaller ballparks. But Bruce, we've rewarded keep the ball in the air. There's no money to be made on the ground. Get it in the air. Launch the ball up in the air. And so, what you have up and down, not every team, but a lot of teams are a lot of. And I know. Listen, I, I get it. I, I'm on the on base percentage and all that that matters. But listen. When you hit, when you have a lineup cluttered with guys that are hitting two thirty-five to two forty, 
235 to 240 is still 235 to 240. That's a lot of outs. Yeah, and, a lot it's, of and it's and it's and hard. It's a lot it's, of unproductive outs. It's hard to watch. It is. You know, it's it hard really to is. watch. And and again, I love the game. You love it. Matt loves it. The millennials love it, but they love it in a different way. I mean, they watch they the game differently. Uh, they're satisfied with it. Uh, millennial players, as you point out, uh, have a different perspective. They need to be told uh, when, where, why, how, and they need to be told it more than three times. Okay, but, but you know, Bruce, you're right. But they do. They, 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 they love to play. They want to play. They just do it, don't do it in the same way that you and I. You've been covering baseball in Chicago forever, and you've seen all. You've seen a wave of like when it started out. You've seen a wave of when batting practice and weighted bats, and you've seen the, the, the workout rooms, the weight rooms. Now it's the video, it's the analytics. You've seen a whole wave of a different group of players, and I don't think the players today are better than they were 50 years. They're in better shape. They're bigger, bigger, faster, and stronger. But I, I do think, Bruce, they want to learn. And, and you know what's funny is going around – as much as I'm able to get around ballparks and talk to pitching coaches, talk to hitting instructors, and most of them say the same thing, Bruce. The guys want to learn. They really do. But they have so much instruction from Little League to AAU ball to they all have their own hitting instructors and workout guys, and it's until they really struggle that they want to reach out and they want some help because they all think that they have the answers because of the technology that we have today. They have strength coaches once they get into high school or, or college or junior college. They've got a guy that they work out with in the winter. They've got a guy that works with their swing, and there's just so much data for them. But until they hit 215 or they're struggling or they want to get sent down, then they want help. And, and I think it's going to slowly start coming back to that, Bruce, because if you can't understand all of those metrics and analytics and swing planes and swing angles, you got to have to need somebody to help you. And I think that the coaching part, the baseball, the visuals of what a guy can bring experience-wise, Regan, Charlie Manuel, I think you're going to see those guys slowly coming back more into play. Dan, please, Zach, uh, growing up here and uh, then eventually playing here and being around the game as much as you have, uh, what does Hawk Harrelson mean to you as a broadcaster? Because he is one of, the, one of the candidates here for the Ford Frick Award, and uh, we know you grew up as a guy listening to the man. You know, Max, I'm going to tell you, he was a pioneer, and he did it his way. And, and you know, I don't know if we're going to see very many guys like Hawk again because we're, we're in this world so much of, like, all kinds of – you know, stuff on the internet, breaking down what guys do, you know, announcers, what's the right thing to do, what's the wrong thing to do, the guy's a homer, you need to slow down, you let the let the game breathe. I'm going to tell you, I, I got the biggest kick out of Hawk Harrelson. I grew up a White Sox fan. I grew up in Gary, Indiana. So I grew up with, you know, Hawk and Wimpy. Gosh, I named some of my racehorses. I grabbed some bench, Hawk and Wimpy, <laughs> Duck Snort. I mean, you know, I... I the biggest kick I would get is when you're a local kid and when I played for the Blue Jays or I played for the Diamondbacks and you're playing against the White Sox and you come into the come into the clubhouse like from the from the bullpen, you're gonna go to the bathroom like the fifth or sixth inning and somebody just struck out, they're you know, they're complaining going, Who's that guy with it grabs some bench, man? I wanna talk to that guy after the game. <laughs> like you know what he did, Max? He made it fun. And he made it fun and he made it fun because 
the audience that he was talking to was the White Sox audience. You know, I think so much with broadcasting, you know, we're trying to do the right thing and be proper and, you know, try to be right down the middle. When you work for the Cubs, you work for the White Sox, you don't have to be right down the middle. You're an extension of that team. You know, your, your feelings, whether it's being very happy when there's a big home run, you know, you can't put it on the board, yes. I mean, some of my funniest memories as a kid watching White Sox games were turning on the TV, the White Sox gave up nine runs in the first inning, and going to commercial break, would, Hawk would say to Wimpy, you know, hey, well, we got him right where we want him. <laughs> Just like that, that would make you laugh, and, 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 and it would keep your attention. And I, I, I just fear that guys like Hawk Harrelson, I don't know if we're going to see those kind of guys around anymore. I, I really don't because I think broadcasters are under so much scrutiny, you know, to get it right, to have the pacing, let it breathe. And I, I just think guys like Hawk, I'm, I'm crossing my fingers that he gets into the hall because he deserves to be there. I always said about Hawk, you love him, you hate him, but you could never ignore him. And I think that's, that's something that some of that passion that came through where Bruce, you took the word right out of my mouth and, and, and what he did and how he did it. It's about passion. It's about caring. It's about caring about the white Sox. It's about caring about the Cubs or the Diamondbacks or the Royals or the Blue Jays, whatever team you're doing the game for, you know, I don't want, like, you can't be totally and ignore the obvious, but your job is to, you know, if you're doing Toronto Blue Jays games on Rogers Sportsnet, you don't give a shit what people think in Anaheim about your team. You're like, you're talking about the Blue Jays. You're talking, if you're Hawk Harrelson, he was a fan like you and I were of the, of the White Sox. Right. You want to you hear excitement. You want to, like, when the bat with a down is down, and, yeah, well, you can cancel the post-game show. You know, he was down in the dumps. But, but he cared, and he had passion about what he was doing. You were you used the term dumps twice, but you, you just didn't know it. Hey, uh, before we let you go, uh, we're in the world of um, agents hiring players to be managers. Uh, Carlos Beltran, your thoughts? Interesting. Um, I really thought, to be quite honest with you, it seemed like the Mets were in that kind of that win now thing with the Grom and their pitching staff, and they seem like they're in the win-now mode. I was a little surprised. I thought Joe Girardi would be in for that job. Um, going with a guy in Beltran with no managerial experience was a little bit of a surprise, but Brody Van Wagenen, the general manager of the, of the Mets, does things kind of outside the box, and they did a thorough you know, thorough research. They had Eduardo Perez came in. They had Joe Girardi in a couple of times. I was a little surprised. I thought it would be somebody with some – managerial experience like with a team that was kind of like turn the key ready kind of win win now mm-hmm. kind of team i was a little surprised bruce but from everything that i've heard about carlos beltran he really wants to do it his heart's into it and he really wanted to manage the mets and you know that's the case i wish him the best of luck yeah i want to be six five and blonde but that that hasn't worked out so exactly, exactly. <laughs> hey Hey, Matt and I appreciate uh, you coming on so much. I will see you in uh, about a month at the winter meetings. You're always uh, you're always there. We always get to spend some time. So thanks for taking the time today for us and Inside the Clubhouse. 
You got it. Okay, guys. Take care. Take care. Okay, put it on the board. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. Dan, please, On 670, the score. I, I disagree with you and Coomer and maybe please, Zach, too. I, I completely understand why Carlos Beltran is a managerial candidate. Why? Because he was a star player? Uh, no, because he's he was incredibly communicative and a leader everywhere he was. And he's been a special assistant to the GM for a year for Cashman. Right, so so only, is- only one year. It's not much different than Ross or Craig Council. Oh, I think, you know, I think Ross is a lot different. First of all, he was a catcher. I mean, that is an extreme difference. He was a guy that went and talked to pitchers and demanded things from pitchers and other players on a daily basis. Well, how about Council or Aaron Boone then, or well, Alex I mean, Cora? Council has been outstanding. It's a great point that you bring up. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's. But I mean, you're, you're talking about you're talking about guys that were a little bit different, not a star. And as you and I talked about off the air. How many star players have been outstanding managers yeah, in baseball history? That is absolutely my question about Beltran. When you're can that he relate good, to the Craig right. Council on the team? But can they, he relate to the backup catcher on the team? Right. Can he get through to them with that message? I mean, I'm wishing him good luck, but I, you know, I, you got a general manager who was an agent, right? Yeah. Before this, that part is now a he's a general manager mm-hmm. and he's hiring one of his former players that he represented to be his manager. It's not a horrible thing, but, it, you know, it's not classically, it doesn't sound right to me. 670, the score is where you are. This hour is brought to you by the Exergen Temporal Scanner. 30 million people come down with the flu every year. It could be you or your family. The best way to tell if it's a cold or the flu is by taking your temperature, and no one does that better than the Exergen Temporal Scanner. We'll come back and wrap it up on Inside the Clubhouse. Steve Rosenblum coming up at the top of the hour with me, Matt Spiegel. You're listening to The Score inside the clubhouse, wrapping up. Gold gloves to be announced tonight. Qualifying offers have to be decided upon by tomorrow. Free agency is upon us. Chris Bryant in the middle of his grievance, although that's been filed. We're waiting to hear back. There's a lot going on. There there is, and the GM meetings start uh, next weekend, and uh, I'll be in uh, Arizona covering those and talking to you from there next week. Saturday, and we will be doing the winter meetings right after that in early December. So there's lots of baseball stuff going on here every Saturday, 9 to 11. Let's take a call or so uh, and uh, this is Don. say goodbye. Hey, Don in Burr Ridge on the score. Hello, Don. Hey, guys. I uh, love the show. Listen every week. Favorite show of the, uh, on the radio. Hey, um, I asked last week, what would you guys do if you were a GM? And I came up with some thoughts for myself. If I was the GM of the Cubs, I would trade Horner to Kansas City for Merrifield. I would trade Rizzo to Houston for Kyle Tucker, Josh James. They have a couple minor league pitchers, one named Javier and Rodriguez. And I would trade Contreras to the Dodgers for Urias, a minor league pitcher named Gray, and a minor league pitcher... Kazowski, you're going to sit there and say, well, why to Houston with, with Rizzo? Well, Gary L's 36. Um, maybe in the trade you can get Gary L back and take less, but you got to do something, and, and you help out some positions. You help out pitching, definitely. Well, you know, one thing, uh, and thanks for your call. I appreciate it. Uh, one thing that it does make sense with, you've rebuilt, with his theory, you've rebuilt your entire 
farm system and controllable contracts for many years to come. Yeah, we got a bunch of those kind right. of guys. If you can make any of those things happen. I don't think Kansas City's going to trade Merrifield. They're talking about him like he's the face They're of the not. team as of They're right not. now. And the new owner came in and said, we're not, we're not trading him. And the Cubs were talking to them at length about Merrifield, not only last year, but uh, late in the season this year as well. How, how do you feel about Nico Horner starting second baseman for opening day Cubs 2020? Still think he needs a couple months in the in minor leagues, and I think the history of some of their players having to go back to complete eighth grade again mm-hmm. uh, might drive them in that direction. But he's certainly fun to watch and looks pretty close. We're not trading you, Bruce Levine. You can't get much from me at this point. <laughs> That's the problem. But you are trading me for another person... Kind of similar in Steve Rosenblum for the next three hours. I wouldn't say similar. Well, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know. There hey. are some similarities, but uh, he's a, a talented man, and he will be joining you momentarily. Talk to you next week while you're uh, in Arizona. Looking can, forward. People can follow me on Twitter at uh, MLB Bruce Levine. I write on the website at 670thescore.com. Cubs and Sox all week long. See you next week. Ron Coomer and Dan Plesek, thank you so much. Thank you, Zach Withers. Uh, Steve Rosenblum is next with me, Matt Spiegel, on The Score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.